Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here this week is Jed Brewer. Hello! Also with us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Hello. Welcome. I hope that no one in the middle of that intro could tell that I was uh, reaching across to uh, make a change to my headphone mixer because I was hearing my own voice coming through my headphones and it was driving me <laughs> insane. Yeah. But uh, that now that we have that technical snafu aside, uh, we are ready to get into a great show. We've got back on our normal format after the emergency basket that came out last week. We've got some of your great questions. But first, we must jump into a megachurch nonsense roundup emergency. Oh, Woo! wow. So, um, so people have been having church, and they've been making choices. Mm, good choices <laughs> well choices ah you know when someone like is talking about a very artsy movie that they clearly didn't enjoy and they're like the lead yeah. made some very strong choices <laughs> <laughs> so just not facing the camera the entire time those mm. kind of things <laughs> uh one choice that was made is by a gentleman that i had not heard of uh, until this came out but uh maybe you had uh, L- L.A. pastor uh, for a church called Mosaic, I guess, named Erwin McManus. Sure. He's an L.A. megachurch pastor. He is not uh, someone who did some kind of unspeakable violence in the name of the British Empire and the African colony in the 1900s, though he sounds like it. <laughs> why is this small village named after someone named Erwin McManus? We don't like to talk about why. Let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's less ivory here than there was when he got here. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he went on the Instagrams uh, for his uh, Easter Sunday service with uh, a series of choices, the first of which was the outfit. Yes. Mm. Now, I'm not a fashion guy, but I believe uh, we were trying to work through this and we kind of came up with if Kanye West tried to dis- tried to design like a monk's robe from memory, <laughs> it's monochromatically brown, very loose. That's fair. Um, some comfy sneakers. It it is kind of a mashup of like the classic summer linen suit and a monk's robe. It it really is that. But it definitely looks like the material is the kind of sweatpants that if he was wearing a t-shirt with those pants, like you would not want to meet your girlfriend's parents in that outfit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we this part of it we can celebrate. It's it's certainly putting comfort first, and we appreciate that oh, in church absolutely. clothes. Absolutely. It's gotta be comfortable 100. in church clothes. If I could describe the, the like the color and kind of the fit, it's like if in the first mo- Star Wars movie, when they went to meet, like, as like the fourth one, but it's the first one, we all know how that works. Um, the one with Alec Guinness, so they went to meet Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he had, like, his kind of kicking around the house Jedi robe on. <laughs> but also it has shoulder pads? Yeah, there's a little bit of structure going on there. So there's that. But, you know, again, we're not a, we're not a fashion podcast, and we, well, we definitely I, celebrate say, the comfort. Though, as you're giving people a mental image... I think it's great that you mentioned Star Wars because it definitely has that vibe, but it also like just the the photograph itself and where he's standing and the ambiance of the uh, or the design of the the room that he's standing in in this LA mega church. It definitely looks like he is in like the uh, you know like one of the Empire's ships. Like the interior is the big just just kind of nondescript white shapes. Yeah, it really does have that vibe to it. Yeah, it definitely looks like a set from, again, definitely the original trilogy before they had set money. Yes. Which is just like, this is all made out of cardboard that we found in George's garage. Lee, do you <laughs> think he finds my lack of faith disturbing? <laughs> now, that, that is an, that's an Easter sermon title I can get behind, Jed. I, I, I kind of want like to meet Fashion Vader. I really like the idea of Darth Vader, but he's a bit of a hype beast. You know, very fashion forward, you know, a lot of high-end athleisure. Like, I, I would really enjoy that. <laughs> Just supreme stamped across the front of the helmet. This is exactly what I'm saying. These buttons keeping my respiratory system alive are all the wrong color. 
<laughs> Just getting really mad when people shoot at him, even though he pulls it away. Like, do you know how much this cape cost? <laughs> I had to get it at 4 a.m. to stand in a line in Manhattan for this. Absolutely. I didn't even know Carhartt made a lightsaber holster. <laughs> So we've got that. So we've got the the uh, the uh, the outfit, which is you know lovely. But then we've got the in- where a lot of uh, problem kicks off. That's in the Instagram caption. Yeah, yeah. And it says, "What an amazing Easter service, Easter Sunday at all caps mosaic." Sure. Uh, yesterday, fine. Couldn't sleep all night. Just fucking on the day. That's fine. A special thank you to my friend and brother at Jerry Lorenzo for the Easter threads. There's something transcendent about beauty and elegance. May every piece in your upcoming collection point to the eternal one. Jesus, he is risen. So if you notice something between the, I was very excited about our Easter Sunday service and, you know, a centuries old confession of faith shared between all people who believe in the bodily resurrection of our Lord. um, It was (laughs) a little bit of sponsored content. Yeah, it was. Yeah. For uh, fashion uh, designer Jerry Lorenzo, founder of the American luxury brand, I'm not making this up, Fear of God. See, it's all a tie-in! Wow. Yeah, so this guy uh, made, the apparently this year's le- a collection is called Eternal. Oh. So we got a little bit, you know, made it all point to eternity, which again... Mm. I don't tend to know a lot about science, but uh, things made of thread are probably not going to be eternal. I'm not, I'm not one to Jesus juke things, but it is in this case worth noting that Jesus literally talked about how if you invest your treasure in clothing, like moths would destroy it and thieves would steal it. <laughs> I mean, like, again, that, that's literally a thing he said. But, in his, in, yeah, Jed, I hadn't even thought about that. In his direct... This is the dumbest and most displeasing to me, Jesus, the way to use wealth story. His thing was literally, Moz will eat your clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's take a look at the kind of clothes that the moths are eating, because this is fascinating. I've pulled up the Fear of God website, and I've gone <laughs> to their new releases section. And the first one, the very first item, is a denim trucker jacket. And it, it looks fine. It looks exactly like a denim trucker jacket that you'd buy at The Gap or at Target or at Walmart or at Banana Republic, whatever you're into. Except that it's $895. Oh, wow. Oh, does it come with the truck? Let's see here. Actually, we should we should read this together. I think this will be... Now, first of all, the color is blue, but the the... Title of the color is a five-year indigo vintage wash. So that's something. I don't think that's um, a color. I, I I read from the Fear of God website for said $900 denim trucker jacket. The vintage American denim jacket is designed with relaxed proportions in the shoulders, body, and yoke. And by the way, it's good. There's a the theme of being relaxed. We saw this in the Instagram feed. So uh, relaxed proportions in the shoulder, body, and yoke to allow for a comfortable lived-in feel. The 14-ounce 3 by one Japanese salvage denim is given a combination of wash processes and hand-vintage treatments to provide an authentic five-year vintage appearance to the jacket. Okay, um, a, a lot of questions come up. There's the obvious one about, you know, do we need uh, Japanese salvage uh, denim, which, as I understand it, is very good and very expensive. Uh, my question, and I, I'm legitimately asking, I don't know anything about fashion, is yoke a term used in jacket measurements, or are we trying to Christian that up? Uh, it's, it's a new one on me. I mean, like, uh, maybe it's a common thing, but, but it's not common to me. My burden is easy and my yoke is vintage. <laughs> <laughs> Learn from me. I'm, I'm the least qualified person to talk about fashion, um, in, in all of the world. But I also went to the website. They have a jacket called the fear of God. Downfilled puffer. Uh oh. Now is this in the new season or elsewhere? I couldn't say. I'm, All right, I'll I see if I can find it. But I will tell you this: it costs two thousand three hundred ninety-five dollars for a down jacket. Wow, that's some expensive geese. Yes, these these are geese. Yeah, I mean these geese. You can't even do the foie gras with these geese. They're only for the fear of God jacket. 
Well, Natalie, I've I've pulled up the the release, and it is worth noting that the shiny nylon is Italian. So, oh, that's good um, to know. You know, it, uh, that's that's where part of your buying dollars are going. I'm I'm stuck on fear of God. <laughs> like, so p- people may not know this. Is there's a a media company that recently went profoundly bankrupt called the Aussie, and it is named after the poem Ozymandias. If you don't mm-hmm. know the poem, you at least know the line: "Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair." So the whole poem is about a guy's picking through ancient ruins, and it's you know, about man's hubris and. This guy thought everything was going to last forever, but it, it fades just like, just like everything else. There was a bit of copy on that website that said, we know a lot of people read this poem in that way, but we like to think of it differently. We like to think of it as an encouragement to think big, which uh, um, it's not. No. That's just no, not what that not. means. In the same way, the fear of God <laughs> I think of the, uh, as I often do, the Frederick Buechner novel, uh, Son of Laughter, where it's, it's about Jacob's family, and they, the only way they refer to the Almighty is as the fear. Abraham walked with the fear and such things, and this guy was like, but my jackets are kind of like that. <laughs> Whatever. And indeed, yeah. uh, the idea of a $2,900 down jacket does fill me with a holy terror. Well, one of my questions, if you'd spent three grand on a jacket, like in a fair, and I mean this literally now, like, wouldn't you be afraid at all times of like spilling something on it? 100%. Or just that, you know, that vinyl, just like somebody holding a pencil wrong and just poking a hole in it. Right? The thing that kills me about this guy's post in is talking about his clothes and doing the, what you were saying, like the, uh, this, this, you know, the product placement in the post and everything. And he says, there's something transcendent about beauty and elegance. These are words I've never said about the clothes I'm wearing ever. <laughs> and that was the thing that tripped me the first time I read it was like, that's bold. You put a picture of yourself on your Instagram and then in the caption say, look at my clothes. There's something transcendent, transcendent about beauty and elegance. Am I right? There is. Hey everyone, come see how transcendent, beautiful, and elegant I am. Come look at me. <laughs> Quite. So Jed goes to Anger Man. I went even further back. Oh, I'm gonna lose all the young people on this, but it'll be worth it, believe me. There's an actor named Ricardo Montalban. Oh who, wow, yes. Um the there was a Khan. series of ads in probably I mean, probably in like the early nineties for I don't even remember what car company it was, but the uh it was describing, and this guy, I will not do the accent because I can't do it well, but he had this rich voice, and I think he was from like Spain, wonderful, like, really yeah. delicate accent. And he would describe the rich Corinthian leather, which, one of my favorite facts of all time, there's, that's not a thing. There's no leather from Corinth. Like, they just made it up to sound <laughs> fancy. But I just picture, like, in that kind of, like, it's a, a Buick ad from the early 90s talking about rich Corinthian leather. There's something transcendent about beauty and elegance. The new Chrysler LeBaron <laughs> featuring trans- <laughs> Corinthian leather. That's Dude, amazing. That is on point. There was something. There was something in in Jed's Angerman thing that almost went into the Ozymandias poem <laughs> of like, <laughs> look oh. on my beauty and elegance and despair. I, th- I I may have to try this when we get done with the show. They're like AIs now, where you can kind of like type in something, and they have like a big repository of famous people's voices because they just have like every syllable. And yeah. Will Ferrell doing classic like Victorian poetry. Wow, that that is really really something. Yeah. Well, you you might be wondering, gentle listener, like you know, maybe you need some transcendence, some beauty, some elegance in your own life. Maybe maybe you want to live the megachurch fear of God lifestyle, and you're wondering, you know, how can you get started? So I've been scanning the fear of God website, and it's not a good sign that they don't let you organize by price. So, um, uh, mm. the pricing is actually not super easy to find. So I think that I found, if you try to sort it by price, you just get a pop-up that says, what are you poor? <laughs> so like you can't go low to high or high to low, but you also can't put price range. They have none of those <laughs> options. They have a lot wow. of other options, but none of those. Okay. So I think I can't say definitively, but I think that I have found, um, the, um, uh, 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 
the cheapest thing on the website, and you can get it in navy blue or in black, it is a t-shirt. It is $195, and it is the raw neck tee. Now, if you're not a fashionista like me, you may be wondering what exactly is a raw neck tee. Have you ever had a t-shirt that kind of got old and ripped up and like the collar on it, you just took off and it was just like raw unhemmed cotton at that point. It's that it's a t-shirt with no collar on it. That's what makes it a raw neck tee. It's $195. Oh gosh. So it's a t-shirt, but without the most complicated part of stitching to make a t-shirt. You have that exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a hundred and I, well, I shudder to think how much they charge for a neck that stays together. Well, you'll be pleased to know that if you feel like you're ready to do a bit of a splurge and to upgrade to the collared t-shirt tier, this is only for our platinum customers, Matthew. Um, if you're ready for the diamond Ruby Sapphire select and to get the collar t-shirt, those begin at $250. So it's a $55 oh collar. On your T-shirt. I did see that they also make those little foam slip-on shoes. Oh! And those were like 300 something dollars. <laughs> and it's like, it's foam. But it's, it's good foam. Like you could spray it off with your fire hose. It's foam. <laughs> well, this is a, a very minor thing, but it, it will transition us because... There was also a piece in Gawker that came out recently that was just a, a catch-up of um, what they called, and I'm not making this up, the green room culture of the Hillsong churches and why that was a problem. Okay. Um, but I, I do picture just you walking in with the the only $195 uh, T-shirt instead of the $250 one right. into the you know Hillsong church plant green room and just right. getting a lot of very, very judgmental stares. Ah. <laughs> Went uh, went raw neck, huh? No, oh, couldn't well, afford the collar. I see. Mm. <laughs> I I just I, I don't know. It's like the the idea of calling a company, which companies exist to make money, um, calling a company fear of God. It's like, oh, so you don't have any of that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. Uh, as you know, Jed pointed out with the uh, the uh, storehouses full of whatnot uh, reference going over their head. There's a certain amount of irony proof that the wider uh, church culture has gotten, and yeah. yeah, naming your thing "fear of God" and then probably giving a mega church pastor this. We don't know this, but you know the strong implication. Most people when they do sponsored content either get paid or they get free stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you you paid for a little a little ad time in the Sunday sermon on Easter for your fear of God brand. Yeah, well, I was scrolling down further just because I wanted to find something cheaper than Jed's necklace T-shirt. Did you succeed? And, well, I got to sunglasses and I thought for sure this will be cheaper than Jed's T-shirt. Holy! Oh, the sunglasses <laughs> are two hundred eighty-five dollars. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know what I want to do, like, because I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated now. I want to see, like, what a suit might cost. A suit jacket is two thousand, and the accompanying trousers are eight fifty. Now, those are, those are off the peg. Those are for the uh, the poor's that are not prepared to do the true bespoke suiting, which, of course, Understood. this would be. So, what we know is that this is at least a three thousand dollars suit that we're sporting. Right. Wow. Yeah. Just for fun. Let's see what you can get a Giorgio Armani suit for. Uh you can go to ne- down to Neiman Marcus right now and get a uh, Armani suit for uh less than that. Ah, interesting. Wow. But there may not be any fear of the almighty in that. Well, let me ask you this, Matthew. Let me ask you this. All right, you've got your your fancy, you know, thing is it transcendent is it elegant is it beautiful i mean there's nobody on instagram telling me it is well <laughs> certainly nice. no one in a who has put themselves in a position of uh spiritual authority 
Transcendence commands a premium, Matthew. I think that's what we've all learned here today. <laughs> Thank you. I I expect that to be copy on the Fear of God website by the end of the day. <laughs> My question is, how, you know, like, I think about people who come to church on just on Easter Sunday, and, you know, and some people, it's like, they feel like it's their duty to do so, and they, you know, and, and maybe they have a kind of a filial kind of reason, you know, it's like, I'm going to do this for the, for the extended family that go to church every Sunday or whatever. I'm going to join them in their thing and celebrate with them. And, but maybe that person that walked into a church on Easter Sunday, like they actually have some questions and they, they really ap- appreciate like a thoughtful conversation about the historicity maybe of the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, or just even just talk me through why you believe this pastor And then in the midst of that, what he says is, may every piece in your upcoming collection point you to the eternal one, Jesus. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? I actually came here because I have some thoughtful questions about this religion that you're, that you're selling, but you're saying that you're hoping that the, the, the pieces in my spring collection, the new clothes I bought this spring, that they would point me to Jesus. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Just buying a little time in the Sunday sermon. We'd like we're just we're just ever closer to. We'd like to stop the sermon and talk to you. A little message from our friends at Fidelity Investments. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm really envisioning the the moment where like you know celebrity you know one of the million scars guards for example is on the red carpet and they're stopped by TMZ and they say you know Stellan who are you wearing today. He says, well, I'm wearing fear of God, but I'd like to take a second to tell you about the one who casts out all fear and was the wow. son of God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how far are we actually away from companies getting sponsored content during the actual moments of the sermon <laughs> at this point? Can't be that far behind. If it's <laughs> like, not a, like, a, like, like a podcast advertising break. Oh, dude, I, I think I can. I think I can do this. Are you ready for ready. this? Ready. Okay, so uh, we're we're gonna take the world's most generic sermon confession that the pastor struggles to, but then we're gonna do a tie-in. See, so, so you ready? Look, ready. we're talking today about anger, okay? And we all struggle with anger. I don't want anyone in this church today to hear me acting like I don't have my own struggles with anger because I do. Here's what my kids would tell you. If my kids were here right now, what they'd say is, Daddy struggles with anger in the car. Somebody cuts me off in my fine, affordable Honda, which is a great vehicle. And if you're in the market, you should check out the new Honda Fit. It's a great car. Somebody cuts me off in my Honda Fit. And you know what? I might say a four-letter word in that moment. So, okay, we're all on the same page. We're all struggling here today as we talk about anger. Wow. Impressive Thanks work. to the graphite brakes and the new Honda Accord, that four-letter word is safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that. We could start off with, like, you don't have to start with the big brands for your smaller church. Just, you know, somebody in the, you know, maybe it's not Honda uh, totally, but, you know, I was, you know, I was in the car with my kids and, you know, uh, Jim McNulty of McNulty Nissan sold me that car and it's been great for us, but I was telling him. Just a little drop in here and there. Just really get those broadcast chops going. That's exactly right. There's nothing like the uh, the Myrtle Burger down at Jefferson Drugstore. (laughs) Just like the real, like the really, really low key, like like almost like a uh, a hometown Friday night football game. Like this third down brought to you by. (laughs) That's right. Guy trying to slip the pastor the twenty bucks during the passing of the piece. Not now, Dan. Not now. Yes, well, we're going to leave that because we could literally come up with examples of that for the rest (laughs) of our hour together here, friends. Um, We suggest you have some fun with those yourself. Uh, Please share share this if you come with any good ones. But for now, we're going to turn to your questions as they come in. If you hang out with us all the way to the end or scroll in your episode description, I give some ways you can get in touch with this. Our first question comes in and says, I recently had a loss of someone very dear to me. I expected to grieve heavily, but I don't feel like I'm grieving at all. No tears or underlying sadness unless I stop everything and sit and actively think about it. I hate this. I want to miss them and love them, though they're gone, but I have nothing. I should include there was a time where I grieved very long and hard over a breakup. Cried every day for almost two years, and then I got to a point where I just couldn't anymore. It just stopped. This seems similar, except I'm not grieving at all. Please help. And a great question. We super appreciate 
the the honesty and the vulnerability as we always do. Um, and Lee, where would we start off here? Well, first of all, we want to say we're sorry for your loss, and okay. um, and and we're glad that you're sharing this with us. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I think that is has been so cool about this show is that people do feel like they have a space to just say a thing like, I'm just going to say it. This is what I'm, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. And, and I'm glad that you were able to express, express yourself with that kind of freedom. And the thing is, is that I would say you are in a completely safe space because there are no hard and fast rules for grieving. There just aren't. Um, There is no, there is no standard by which you can say this person grieves right. And this person grieves wrong. This, and this is, I'm not kidding at all. In the ancient world, families would or individuals would hire people to grieve when they would have like, uh, you know, like some, they would lose a family member or something like that. They would have a funeral service. There were people who were like professional grievers. And I think part of that whole process was we want people to think that we're paying the right amount of respect, but I might not be feeling anything today. And I don't want to lose any face on that. And that's because Real live human beings grieve in all different kinds of ways. And there's no predicting how you're going to experience those emotions, how you're going to express those emotions. All of that to say, the number one 100% hard and fast rule that we could say is just be honest and give yourself a lot of grace. Be honest about how you're feeling in that moment and, and, and know that you're not wrong for feeling that way. If you're if you don't feel like crying, that's not wrong on your on your behalf. And here's a really really important thing: that does not mean that you did not love the person that you lost. Yep. Um, it's it's that's a thing that's worth saying again. If you don't meet someone else's expectations for how you were supposed to quote unquote grieve this loss, that does not mean that you did not love that person. And nobody gets to define that relationship for you. Um, and the other thing I would say is. Give yourself a lot of time and be prepared for the way that you feel to change. Um, Gosh. And by the way, you don't just grieve people. You can grieve relationships that are lost. Um, Just a a real quick example from my experience. Um, My parents got divorced when I was a grown person. And um, and when it first happened, I did a lot of grieving of just kind of like my parents' relationship. And... And then, like, I didn't feel anything about that for a lot of years. And I think there was, like, seven, eight years after this whole thing happened. My wife and I were driving to, uh, like, a dinner date or something, and I heard a song that instantaneously put me in a place of, like, a a really strong emotion about my parents' old marriage that had been dissolved for, for, you know, all these years. All that to say, like, you just never know how you're going to feel. You may you may feel up one day. You may feel down. You may feel like laughing. You may feel like uh, completely ignoring. You may feel like telling stories about this person. You may feel like not hearing stories. You may feel like looking at pictures. You may feel like not looking at pictures. There are no hard and fast rules. Give yourself time. Give yourself a lot of grace. And the important thing is being honest and knowing you're not in trouble and nobody gets to define that for you. I think it's such a great point and the perfect place to start. And I love two things that Lee is balancing out there because I think you he need, you need to bring the second one into the first. And that point about um, there's no, you know, you don't need to put that expectation on yourself. There's no bar to clear. It definitely doesn't mean you care more about one thing than or, than another because days grieved or uh, tears shed or whatever. That's so super true. But then that balance of not only is there no wrong or right way to grieve, there's just a ton of weirdness around it. Might be years, might be this. You may have be super surprised by the way something hits you or doesn't hit you. And there's just so many variables going on here that one thing that people try to do when they only take in the first part of what Lee just gave us is, okay, well, it's not about crying or it's not about being gloomy or whatever, but then it, you go into these other weird ways of trying to quantify it. So, Oh, well actually I didn't cry because it just numbed me, which means I, that person felt it so much more or like, and that's, that's super not what we're, what we're saying here. Cause and Jed, maybe you can continue to break this down for us. 
grief is just weird. It is so dependent. It is so variable on a million different things. It almost, it just doesn't make sense to try to quantify it, even really understand it that much. If you're not a professional counselor, like you got to deal with it to get through it. But as we're on that journey of kind of not judging how we feel, how do we deal with those feelings that do come up? That's a great question. Um, like Lisa, we're sorry for your loss. We really appreciate you sharing your story with us. It, you know, I am a layperson. I'm not a counselor and I'm not a pastor. What I can tell you is uh, the little bit that I do know is that grieving takes a lot of different forms for a lot of different people and that um, one person can grieve one thing in one way and then a different event or loss they can grieve in a different way. You know, so it's not just different people grieve in different ways. Different people grieve in different ways on different occasions, on different days, on different hours. And that that's pretty typical. Um, also, you mentioned in your question that you, you had a, a loss about which you felt basically numb and you had a breakup that kind of wrecked you. If it's any comfort to you, I've had identical experiences to those. My, my first big breakup when I was in high school, it, it just destroyed me, dude. Uh, it took me a very, very long time to get over that. But I've had plenty of other things in my life that were probably from an objective standpoint, much greater, much more of a big deal, much bigger losses where I just didn't really feel much of anything for a very, very long time. Um, so, um, you know, at the very least you're not alone because I've certainly had similar experiences to what you're describing. Um, but I, I would offer kind of a couple of related thoughts, you know, given that grieving does take many forms. The first is, if you're concerned, and this is actually a good habit to get in just in life, is if you've got an area of your life could be related to your health, it could be related to your mental health, it could be related to, to legal stuff in your life. But if you've got an area we're concerned, go find someone who's an expert and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Ask them about it. I do this all the time, man. Um, I do it as a part of my work. I do it as a part of my life. Find some experts. Ask them what they think. Um, if you need to talk to a mental health professional, you're not sure how to find them, or you're not sure if you can afford them, Please reach out to us. We'd love to help you figure that out. Um, there are, we'll figure something out. Um, but there is generally more help available than you might expect. And um, at least in my experience, I think most experts don't mind at all someone saying, hey, man, I just want a ballpark. Is this out of bounds? Like, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm seeing. Is this within the realm of normal, of healthy, of okay? Like, most experts do not mind that at all. Um, and they may ask you a couple follow-up questions. Is it more like this or is it more like this? And you'll answer them and the, what the process, no, it's all normal. You know, if, if X, Y, Z were to happen, why don't you give me another call and let's talk more about that. But in the meantime, you know, that's, that's fine. And it's, it's good. And in some cases responsible to, to reach out and get some of that, that, uh, expert guidance. Again, even if it's just a gut check, like there's a lot of value in a gut check from someone who knows what they're talking about, who can, you know, kind of give you some basic coordinates, but it also means, and this is critical. It means that if you have done that work of finding an expert and getting at least a little bit of guidance, you can fully write off the peanut gallery. When someone, when you go through a loss, whether it's loss of relationship, loss of, of, you know, someone passes away, loss of a career, there's a lot of people in your life that want to get in there and tell you how to feel. And, um, most of their advice is going to be bad. In fact, the more eager they are to tell you how to feel, typically the more bad the advice is. And if you've done the work to find someone who is an expert who can kind of give you that gut check, and especially if they've been like, no, you're good, you're, you're well within spec, then you can really have full permission. You can be polite if you want, but you have full permission to just write off all the nonsense from the people that want to get up in your, in your business and tell you how to feel. And that, I think, is a comfort that's worth doing the work to get to. I think there's a lot of peace there. And that's really the thing that we want for you. We want you to have peace. We, we do obviously want you to grieve in a healthy way, but that's a complicated thing. But one day at a time, we want you to have peace. And um, to the extent that you don't have that, let's take some steps so that you can have it. Mm. A great point. In the business, we call that Brewer's Theorem. The more someone wants to give you their <laughs> advice, the lower quality that advice is probably going to be. Uh, yeah, I would I would echo what these guys said. I and I would join the course of both of them. I have definitely had things, uh, particularly in the in the realm of people uh, close to me passing away, where just if you laid it out on paper, A should have hit me a lot harder than B, and that just wasn't the way it came out. That just wasn't how it happened. And a lot of what that had to do, at least in my case, and I think a lot of other people's cases, is as as we're describing here, 
just the thousand other things that were going on in my life, um, where I was in my own, uh, age and emotional development and all the kind of ancillary factors, you know, uh, we've all had, uh, two plus years now that probably involved a significant amount of, of grief. And sometimes you're just a little burned out on grieving and it, no matter what the next thing that comes down the pike is, there's going to be something when that tank hits empty, that can be a perfectly, perfectly reasonable. Um, you know, sometimes that will have to do with the stages you're at in your life. If this uh, breakup happened when you're younger, uh, one thing, uh, Lee still does very regularly. And I have at times in my life and career worked with a lot of young folks. One of the things I hate the most that people say to deride, particularly teenagers is, Somebody has a breakup or gets a bad grade or something. And so you're acting like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. They're 15. It probably is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. (laughs) Yeah. That's okay. If you're 30 or and something isn't the worst thing that's ever happened to you that would have been before. That's cool. That's not an indication of anything's wrong now. And I think it's very important to to repeat as Jed pointed out there. So, so the grieving, the, I don't, feel like I'm meeting this standard or it's compared to things. None of that indicates anything is wrong. If you are at a point where you say, I feel disconnected from my own emotions about this, or I feel like I'm not process. This is me not processing this as opposed to processing it differently than I might've expected to. That's probably when we veered into a territory where it is a good idea to reach out for some help to uh, Mm -hmm. talk to somebody who uh, really knows what they're doing because that could be an indication that there's other stuff that needs to be uh, dealt with. Again, in that case, it doesn't mean you're grieving wrong. It doesn't mean you can care about this person. It may mean that this is something that is revealing that there might be some other stuff that needs to be worked on. And if that's the case, we definitely want you to reach out for that help. And it's a great, great thing to do and a great first step by reaching out to us. We move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, I need to get some therapy for anxiety and other issues. Would choosing a counselor who's able to help with these things and also offers Christian counseling be a good option? I'm afraid of getting legalistically biblical guidance that will make things worse. Is that a valid concern? And another very, very good question. And Jed, where would we start off with this whole heap of stuff? Well, it's a great question. I don't know that I can give you a specific answer, but hopefully I can give you some additional questions that you can ask both of yourself and a, a prospective counselor. So the first thing um, is, and this is going to feel like maybe we're playing with words a little bit, but it's actually important, is you say Christian counseling, and that can mean different things. Uh, do you mean a person who is a licensed counselor who happens to be a person of Christian faith, and of course, their worldview, you know, influences, as one would inevitably expect, um, the way that they counsel other people, because uh, that that would be one meaning. The second meaning would be: Do you mean someone who is involved in the evangelical subculture of American Christianity and gives advice that basically is a reinforcement of the evangelical subculture of American Christianity? Those are two very different things. Um, I can tell you if it were me, one of them I would have no problem with at all. Uh, The other would concern me greatly. Um, And so for you, the the thing that I would encourage you to do, uh, because I actually really like your your kind of thing of like, I don't want to get a bunch of legalistic nonsense in my brain that makes everything worse is it's fine for you to book a session with a prospective counselor and interview them and ask them some questions. And I think one of the questions that you can and should ask um, in this particular situation is to say, look, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety in my life. I'm looking for help with that. I need to know from you up front, what is anxiety to you? Mm. Is anxiety a sin that I need to repent of? Or is anxiety, for example, a medical condition that I need to learn how to manage through a, you know, a combination of healthy coping mechanisms and perhaps some form of medication? What right. is anxiety to you? I think most people who are, you know, some form of licensed professional would would probably shoot you straight on that. Um, you know, I mean, if they hem and haul on that, say, oh, well, besides and so forth and who's to say, I would take that as a bad sign. Um, you know, I, I think that um, 
the kind of person that you would want to deal with would probably give you an answer to that question that you would feel comforted by and reassured about and would feel better for having asked. But you should ask the question up front. And again, I mean, obviously, if they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm I'm super duper on guilt. And, you know, uh, if you're uh, ever concerned about anything, that means that you're living in sin and I want to help you not do that. Well, obviously, we we don't want to do that. But similarly, if you get a lot of hemming and hauling and, and well, besides and things and so forth, eh, let's find somebody that can give you a straight answer that you feel good about. There's nothing wrong with you feeling people out in terms of where they're coming from, asking pointed questions and trying to get a sense of what their deal is. But again, it goes back to what it means to be a Christian counseling and a counselor who are Christian. The words are very close, but they mean very, very different things. Yes. Um, and so I, I think you can also ask directly about that. Are you a counselor who happens to be a person of faith? And of course that influences, you know, the way you see the world, or are you a Christian counselor who is trying to reinforce a specific evangelical view of the world? Ask those questions, get the answers and take it from there. Yes. Thank you for calling Fear of God Counseling. <laughs> uh, may we help you? Uh, an excellent, excellent place to start off there. And before I throw it to Lee, I will, I will kind of reiterate that point that Christian counseling, big, broad term, one of a great place to start. And we're, we're not interested in telling you what to do one way or the other, but probably the strongest uh, recommendation we would make is what is your degree in? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Are you a L are you a licensed counseling social worker? Are you a psychologist or are you someone with a theology degree or a biblical studies degree and a focus in counseling or something like that? Cause those are massive, massive differences. And obviously one of yeah. those is something we probably don't want to be getting medical advice from someone for believe. Then there comes the next step down the funnel, which is let's say licensure, which is, Great, but that we don't want that to be the end of a question. You don't want everyone who's got a JD to be your lawyer. You don't want everyone who's got a medical degree to be your surgeon. So we got to, now we're in kind of that next step of discovering if this is the right fit. And maybe a great place to start with that would be, what do we want a counselor to do for us? Yeah, it's a really, really important thing because what you're going through matters and what, and you deserve to have someone uh, do the the job of a counselor, someone to provide you a place to say what you need to say and ask questions and understand things about um, about psychology, about uh, 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 just about certain you know just types that that they are expert in that they do have experience in. One of the things that Matt just said is super important that um, and and that Jeb was talking about as well is that a licensed professional counselor has to have, depending on what state they're practicing in, has to have a certain number of hours of counseling experience that are like clinical hours that it's a huge number for pretty much every state. And you're going to have a certain amount of experience with someone who is an actual professional counselor that is a different kind of a thing than what, what you're talking about with the average, like Christian counselor, like Matt was saying, somebody that has a degree in like a, a theology degree or a Bible school degree and that had a focus in counseling, totally, totally different situation. What you want is somebody who it is their job. It is their profession. It is their degree. And it is their massive clinical experience to, to know what questions to ask you, to know how to listen to you, to know what kind of a program to, to set you on as far as different kinds of therapy, maybe medication, all of those things. And you want somebody that knows what they're talking about. Now, one of the things that's really, really interesting to me about the whole process of Christian counseling, like the Christian counseling phenomenon is some of this to me, it goes, it's, it's hard for me not to get on a, a, a more broad rant about, um, about kind of seminary and Bible school in general, um, where you have like, basically you have schools that give people degrees that enable them to enter into ministry spaces, but they don't have the ability in those programs to measure anything that has anything to do with ministry. I know that sounds weird, but I'm going to kind of try to underline that again. 
what Bible schools and seminaries tend to do is they tend to give people some kind of piece of paper or bona fides that this person is now, um, this is a person that we have flagged as they are capable to be in a position of ministry leadership, but our program that gave them this degree doesn't actually have the ability to measure any of the things that the Bible um, prizes for someone who's doing ministry. They don't have anything to do with ministry. It's an academic field. Um, what I want to know in in anybody that I'm meeting with is, are you qualified to ask questions and answer questions? And then in a pastoral capacity, it's a totally different thing. Do you care about me? And do you know me? What you may want to do is you may want to just, as Jeb was saying from the beginning, like find a profession, a licensed professional counselor. And then if you want some spiritual advice, find someone you trust who cares about you, who knows you, who has some ministry chops and ask them some questions from that thing. I don't know why we had to mesh all of these things together, but again, some of that goes back to my more broad rant about kind of Bible school and seminary anyway, which is we're giving people degrees when we don't actually have the ability to measure anything that has to do with ministry. We have we have an academic program, and that's not what ministry is. So again, the whole point is you deserve to have someone listen to you and ask questions based on the fact that they are actually qualified to give you the kind of advice, to put you through the kind of therapy or the kind of program that's going to help you grow and process and move through the journey of the things that you're experiencing. A so-called Christian counselor, they may not have any, (laughs) they may not have any ministry qualifications whatsoever. We certainly on this podcast have experienced folks who supposedly have the degree or the, have the degree that supposedly gives them the right to have some kind of Christian leadership or something like that. They don't have any ministry qual- qualifications whatsoever. So be super, super picky about that stuff because what you're going through matters. Absolutely right. Very, very well put. Two things I'll tack on the end of the discussion here. One is that there is a, a kind of third category we haven't touched on here, but might be a good fit for you. May not, may not be. It is also a little bit hard to find depending on where you are. There are people who are fully licensed, regular counselors, who one of the things they specialize in is people who have religious trauma. So if you think in your background that whatever yeah. anxiety or other issues you have may have to do with, you know, I grew up with this in this weird church. I've had people try to put really harsh theology on me. So about myself. There are actually people out there who are totally qualified, licensed counselors and therapists who that's part of like the thing they, they do and are interested in. And uh, that is an area of specialty in that wider world. So. That may be a place to look, but that, uh, again, if you can't find that, we are not interested in telling you what to do. We would definitely lean towards medical qualification versus uh, theological um, particulars. And the the final thing on this is whether it's a Christian counselor or secular counselor, whatever, one thing we always want to point out when we talk about counseling, seeking therapy, it goes for uh, a therapist, it goes for pastors, you have the right to look at someone who is fully qualified and say, this is not working for me. I'm going to that's find somebody else. That's exactly right. 100%. You are in this to be the one be getting served, be the one getting healed. Sometimes it's just a bad date. It's not that they're bad at their job. It's not that um, any this, this isn't working. I'm not getting what I want out of it. I'm going to move on to someone else who takes my insurance. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing if you get out of that situation. It is, there can be a weird power imbalance in things like this. Lord knows it happens in a pastoral situation sometimes where this idea of, well, this is the person with the piece of paper or the ordination or whatever, so I just got to do whatever they say. No, you don't. And you cannot find me the Bible verse that says you have to. So you are the patient. You are the consumer. Find the thing that fits for you. There is a good fit out there. We definitely, definitely believe that. And we move on to our final question here. comes in and says, The debate about modesty has popped up online again. People have lots of opinions about leggings. What does modesty actually mean? And is that idea even in the Bible? And as much as I love for 50-year-old men on Twitter to have lots of thoughts about leggings that they love just putting out there and not not thinking they're revealing anything about themselves, 
which is always a fascinating thing. It is something that has popped up again um, that uh, is weaponized and can really make uh, people confused, and particularly young women who it's uh, targeted at. So, Lee, uh, where would we start off with this whole deal? Dude, I mean, you already you already ran it down. I mean, this is it, it is very self revealing. Um, Christian patriarchy <laughs> has always used certain verses to make women feel bad about themselves and the way they present themselves, and and the deal is like they like especially when I was coming up, the way that this was always talked about, like in youth group and in church stuff, was like basically like um. The way women dress, they could affect whether or not a guy um, commits the sin of lust. So that you know that a guy's sin is on them and their clothing choices, not on the guy who's doing the sin of the lusting. <laughs> and um, the the important thing specifically about your question is that those. I mean, Matt used the perfect word in his in the question setup. The Bible has always been weaponized by patriarchy um, in order to make people feel bad. Weaponized is the perfect word. The truth is the scriptures themselves that they always used to make girls feel bad about the way they were dressing, to make women feel bad about the way they're dressing, those verses actually were in in context about um, flaunting wealth. And when it talked about dressing in a modest way, it was... Don't flaunt your wealth. It's an interesting thing that that would be surprising to most people that haven't actually just kind of read through, for instance, like the Book of Acts, which is about the beginning of the beginnings of the 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 Christian Church, the the movement of Jesus as it spread, and as people came, you know, more people came to know Jesus, and more churches started popping up in different places around Jerusalem and then in different cities. That um, the fledgling church. Like they took care of each other. The members, um, they shared their resources. They made sure that needy people were cared for and homeless people were housed and widows were fed. And um, it was one of the marks of, like in Acts chapter four, there's actually a verse that says that one of the marks uh, that showed everybody that the Holy Spirit and that the grace of God was powerfully at work was that there was no one there who was in need. And when the apostles were writing letters later to these churches, and when they talked about modesty, it was always, always in the context of, look, rich people need to be taking care of people that are not rich. People that, are, that have a lot of stuff should be sharing with those who don't have a lot of stuff. And if you do have a lot of stuff, don't flaunt it in the face of those who don't have a lot of stuff. Modesty was not about sex. It was about um, it was about wealth distribution and sharing resources and the way the church should be taking care of each other. And the the really, really horrible thing is that the whole thing has been, as Matt said, weaponized, sexualized to make people feel bad about themselves. Absolutely. Now, I think Lee makes a very compelling case. He is, however, leaving out the very clear verse where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to lust, you should... Uh, Tell women that they shouldn't be wearing those kind of pants. He's very clear. <laughs> and I feel like we can't ignore the things that are in. Now, that is in my um, Focus on the Family special edition, Nothing That Makes White Men Uncomfortable Bible. But uh, that's the only one I have. So that's what we're going to have to go with currently. Uh, I think Lee did an amazing job starting us out there. And uh, Jed, what would have to add to that? Well, I want to offer two things for you to work about. I want to offer two things for you to look at and to think about. And I obviously uh, agree with everything that that Lee said. We're going to jump to something that feels semi-unrelated, and then we'll we'll kind of bridge the gap a little bit here. But you, you asked, you know, what do we, what does modesty mean? And, and you know, what do we do with all this? I want to offer you a, a slightly different question. And I think it may be a slightly more important question for you to think about. And that is, to ask, what will it take for you to give yourself permission to declare, I don't care what you think? Mm. I really want you to think about that. And it's a really important question because if you are to have peace in your life, you must have the ability to do that. Mm. The thing about uh, the, the folks that are um, doing this whole modesty debate online is 
well, there's many things that can be said, but the first is they are, in the truest sense of the phrase, they're acting in bad faith. They're not asking people to dialogue with them. They don't even care what you wear. They just want attention. They're, they're looking for clicks, man. Um, they, a lot of these people have political aspirations. They're trying to get attention. They're trying to, you know, raise their Q rating. Um, this and is raise not money. raise money. Exactly. Right. This is, this is not, uh, an inquiry into what the calls to modesty in the Bible mean for our culture today. That's, that's, that's not, this is, this is people who are basically just trying to get attention and money and power for themselves. That, that's what this is. And I understand that there's a temptation for, for you and, and for so many of us so much of the time to feel like, well, I need to be able to answer this. I need to be able to, to speak to this and explain my position. And you don't. You don't. The, there's one guy, we're not going to say his name because he doesn't, we're not going to give him publicity, but there's one guy who's kind of driving this at the moment. You don't owe him an explanation about the way that you live your life. Amen. Not at all. You don't owe him. You don't any of the people like him. You don't owe any of them an explanation about the way that you live your life. You want to wear all leggings all day, everywhere you go, rock out. You don't personally like them. You never want to wear them again, rock out. Don't care. Maybe you're a coveralls person, just Carhartt coveralls all day, every day, rock out. I think it's great, man. You, you do you. But the way that we're going to get to a place of peace in our lives is by deciding I simply do not care what this person thinks. Yeah. One of the things that this is a weird collision of kind of American culture and American Christian culture is in America, we say that everybody has an opinion and everybody's opinion is important. And that's not true. That is simply not true. Um, uh, people whose opinion is not based on anything, that opinion is not important. There's like, so for example, this is just something that I'm making up. If you had an overwhelming majority of environmental scientists who unanimously agree about what's going on with our climate, and then you have one guy who's like, nah, the nah guy, like his opinion actually doesn't matter. It's not, it's not important because it's not based on anything. <laughs> but what if he works for Exxon? Exxon wouldn't lie to us, Jed. But the other thing that happens then in, in Christian cultures to take that even further, say not only does everybody's opinion matter and you always have to you know, be able to respond to it. Is if they said if they quoted the Bible to you, if they brought up the Bible, they'd like you have a spiritual obligation to prove that your point is the biblical one. No, you don't Mm. at all. Not even a little bit. No, you don't. You're not this person's pastor. You're not this person's mentor. You're not this person's counselor. You the, the biblical responsibility that you have to them actually is to love them. And that has nothing to do with pretending like they have a point. Oftentimes, the most loving thing is to be clear, you don't have a point. And so <laughs> I want you to practice the following word. It's only one word. We're going to unpack it, but it's, it's one word, and that word is no. Mm-hmm. And it's not no because. And it's not no based on the following Bible verses. And it's not no because I've got all of these facts and reasons. It's no. You have come to me, and you have attempted to influence my life without earning the right to be heard in my life without having any form of authority in my life, without knowing me, without consulting me, you have come to me and you have attempted to exert power and influence over me. And the answer to that is no. Mm. I'm not justifying myself to you. I'm not explaining myself to you. I'm not pretending like you have a point. I'm not dignifying your nonsense. No, we're done. We're not having this conversation. Now, with that in mind, I want to give you a little bit more ammo. This is just for you to have peace of mind because you should not engage with this guy and you should not engage with people like him. Don't engage. Don't feed the trolls. But I I want you to have a little bit more more ammunition. The verse from Jesus that has to do with lust, and the word modesty is never used, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And it comes, uh, uh, Matthew 5, uh, so I actually have it here. Let's pull it up together. Uh, You've heard that it was said, right? Matthew 5, yeah. So yep. like this, this is verse 27. You've heard that it said, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. Okay. You've heard that before. We've, we've all heard that before. Interestingly, what comes a little bit before it is not about sexuality or lust. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fires of hell. If you're curious, go read the Twitter feed and the responses of the people that make the claims about modesty online. Wow. See how often they're insulting their brothers and sisters in Christ. See how often they're calling them idiots or jerks or morons or libtards or whatever else. 
they are not in accordance with this book, friend. Yeah. They're not in accordance with the teachings of Jesus. This is not people behaving in good faith. This is not coming from a sincere place. It's naked opportunism. Give yourself the freedom to say no. An excellent, excellent point. I will add on to that, uh, that excellent analysis of that passage in Matthew, uh, because uh, Lee was reading, uh, talking about it, the way this gets weaponized, and it gets weaponized in a lot of dumb ways, one of which it leads to uh, my one of my least favorite weird Christianism phrase, and I I missed a lot of that by not growing up in the church. But this was in high high um, orbit when I was in like high school and college, and it was uh, leggings or whatever it was at the time. This was before they invented leggings. We only had loose pants in the early two uh, thousands. Uh, but it was you don't want to cause anyone to stumble. That's right. One of the dumbest phrases of all times, and it comes from a horrible misreading of that same passage in Matthew 5, where after Jesus says, and tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart, if your right eye causes you to stumble. Should I, should I blame it on the girl? Is that, is that the next part? No, but even <laughs> before we get there, it's interesting that he doesn't say what you're looking at is causing you to stumble. <laughs> your eye causes you to stumble. Now let's see. I'm looking. I'm expecting... To hear throw rocks at the harlot or whatever. Oh, gouge it out and throw it away. Oof. Now, you may notice that none of these people are gouging their eyes out or cutting their hands off, which comes up here in a minute. Um, and neither are we, so I'm not throwing stones on that. But it's almost like they're not taking this literally. Yeah, but if they did cut their hands off, Matt, they wouldn't be able to tweet. Oh, that's true. I, this all makes me think of a, a joke that I saw. It got spread around. I think we shared much together. Uh, it was on TikTok, and it was like a, a youth pastor coming saying, you, y'all need to stop not be on that TikTok. It's nothing but <laughs> girls in bikinis <laughs> dancing. And it just hard cut to a guy who was dead down there. Barely Cameron goes, it's an algorithm, bro. <laughs> I've got a TikTok. I don't see any women in bikinis dancing. You seem to see a lot of it. <laughs> and he went ahead and told us all that. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's 2022. Leggings have been around for a while. If you can't be in a room in a, with a woman in leggings without staring at her in an inappropriate way, that's a you problem, my friend, not a her yes. problem. That is just the core of this. And that gets back to, as, as Leah's saying, it's a control thing. And it's the, the idea that fixing a man's own moral impurities can only be done by controlling the actions of women which is insane and anti-biblical. And yep. as Jed is pointing out, this is going to sound a little out there, but trust me, there's a huge freedom in this. Assuming it's in bad faith, which all this is, this is not something you would apply to a, a pastor you trust or a good friend is trying to have an actual uh, corrective talk with you or give you some wisdom. When someone comes at you, you're perfectly allowed to say, I don't care what the Bible says. Yep. Mm. Even if that's what it says, I don't think it is. I don't care. That's that's not that you're not winning this conversation with that. What else you got? The answer is right. no. Yeah, absolutely no. Yeah, you get to set the parameters of that debate. Be that uh, just not engaging with someone online, or Lord forbid, if you're running into one of these people in real life, and that's ah, then it's causing this stuff. No, you're you're not going to win that. This is not a a thing you can have. You are perfectly allowed to do that, no matter how white they are, no matter how old they are, no matter how many degrees they have. The funny thing about the idea of the inerrancy of Scripture is it's not about inerrancy of interpretation. Yep. Right. And uh, just because a lot of people are loud about it does not mean it's a correct interpretation. So you don't have to take it on board. If it's not something that you feel is right between you and the Lord, you can have your own idea. And we say, feel free to wear the leggings wherever you want. Because I understand they're incredibly comfortable. Never tried them myself. Uh, that something about that would feel inappropriate, but not for biblical reasons, <laughs> just for crimes against fashion. <laughs> I shudder to think how much the leggings on the Fear of God website are, but I'm sure they're quite steep. Yeah. With that, we will wrap this episode up. If you have a question for us, say at podcast at jeepermontcom, thebridgechicago.summer.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Thanks for listening. 
We're going to take out the song this week. I haven't picked it yet, but uh, it's going to be a good one. I can guarantee you that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say the word.